I love scotch. 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 Yep. Have another whiskey. If you'd like to speak to me in person, press one. If you'd like to order drugs, press hash. <laughs> I had a gentleman in the crowd that was like, tell me how to drink Glenfiddich. And I was like, I will not do that. Yep. You drink Glenfiddich how you want to drink Glenfiddich. Wear a cowboy hat in Los Angeles and look at the amount of looks you get. Yeah. It's unbelievable. This is the most flamboyant city on earth. You wear a cowboy hat, people look at you like you are yep. like an alien. The Beatles came on and they might pick me up on his shoulder. George Harrison is as close to me as that wall now. I went, all right, George, all right. And he went, cock. <laughs> and that was the closest <laughs> I ever came to the Beatles. <laughs> have a whiskey while we... Yeah, let's do it again. Yeah, yeah. Cheers, Cheers. Welcome back to United States of America, and I think this is going to be a particularly fun episode, maybe getting a little bit nerdy at times. I'm very excited to have puzzler, magician, TED Talker, crucy verbalist, David Kwong. Well, that's a lot of titles. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. It's great to be here. So thank you very much for, for joining us. Now, it's later in the evening than usual recording this because... You've just finished one of your shows. And I think, let's start with that. You know, the world has moved on. You're a performer. You're, you know, I've, I've seen you perform live. You're an amazing magician. You've leaned hard into the world of doing things remotely. Tell me a bit about the show you're doing, but also how you've approached this new world we live in. Well, I, I realized that, um, that this was the perfect opportunity for puzzles. And you can see that Amazon sold out of jigsaw puzzles. There's, there's something about quarantine um, that allows for people to connect in this way. And uh, I wear two hats. I'm a magician and a puzzle maker. I think that they, in my whole my whole character and show and approach to entertainment is to blend the two because I think that all magic tricks are puzzles in a way, right? They challenge your brain to figure out what's going on. Um, and so I wear these two hats and in the enigmatist, which is my live one man show, I do, I do sleight of hand, I do illusions and the whole evening is a puzzle that you have to figure out. I think it's difficult to, do magic virtually. I know you have some friends who are magicians and um, believe me, people are pivoting in incredibly clever ways and many of them are pulling off the virtual magic show. Uh, it's not for me. Um, I'm, I think it's hard to have mystery virtually. I think if I were to have a, a box of mystery that's on the table that I'm never touching, I Anything could be happen ha could be happening outside of the, the the camera, the scope of the camera. Someone could be under the table. I mean, who knows, right? Uh, so it's in a in a live theater, you hang that box from the ceiling, you put it in somebody's hand in the audience. They're clutching it the whole time. Um, there there are uh, there's an air of mystery about it. It's harder over virtual. So I said I'm putting the magic hat in a drawer for a bit, and I am going to wear the puzzle hat proudly, and I put together this show that I'm doing called Inside the Box, and it's a nightly, sometimes twice a night show that is, it's like a game show almost. It's a, 
it's me interacting with the audience. I'm, I'm putting puzzles up on the screen. Raise your hand if you know it. Um, my team and I, we've hacked Zoom so that bubbles, you pop up in a bubble. Uh, it's, there's very, it's a dynamic graphic system that we set up. So there's images and bubbles and it's like a game show. And uh, if you know the answer, you raise your hand, we pop you up, you tell everybody the answer. And uh, it's been it's been going great. It's uh, sold out its entire run right away. I'm grateful for it. Well, congratulations. I think finding things that work is quite a challenge. I know in from about April onwards, everybody was trying some version of online interactivity. There was Instagram Lives popping up everywhere. I started with Instagram Live just to mess around. And I, um, I started a little show called Puzzle Corner. My friend Dave Shukan and I started writing puzzles for it. And it would be just like this. It would be the two, two of us on a split screen. And I would hold up puzzles on my iPad. I would have a different celebrity each week. Natalie Morales did it, who's a friend of yours and has been on this podcast. And the, what I discovered is that everybody in the comments was typing in the answer as quickly as they could. And some of the best guests would um, really acknowledge that those people in the comments were on the same team as them. So if they didn't know what was the answer was, they'd be saying, I don't know, uh, you know, Chloe from Pittsburgh, what do you think the answer is? Or, you know, and people would type it. And I realized this, this is what morphed into my current show, is that uh, Zoom, virtual, Instagram, it was just a perfect place to do this kind of nerdy activity. So uh, let's have a whiskey because um, obviously in, in the old days, we drink whiskey together. In the modern days, we have one each. Tell me what you're drinking because I've got a sort of vague attempt at a puzzle for the whiskey at this end, which is going to be an embarrassing puzzle attempt given that you're an actual puzzler. But tell me about your whiskey first. Uh, I have here uh, a Talisker and I am not a connoisseur. Um, I believe this was given to me at one point and I've made a small dent in it. I'm happy to make another small dent in it. I have this mug, which is my wise guy mug, which is a prop from my show downstairs. But by the way, the set is in my basement where uh, the Geffen Playhouse, they built a set here. So I'll tell you all about that in a second, but let me, let me pour this. Uh, so I'm drinking a Bunahaven, which for those people who are very good at pronouncing Scottish whiskey names in itself is a puzzle. So uh, this is I always try and pair a whiskey with a guest, and it's sometimes easier and sometimes harder. For you, I was desperately trying to think of some very clever thing. Is there a whiskey that's an anagram of your name and so on? The best I could come up with is Bunahaven is – so I'm going to spell it for you, and then you can tell me the Scrabble value of the name Bunahaven, because I know you you like doing this. So B U N N. A H A B H A I N. I lost it. I had it for so long, and then I lost it. It um it adds up to twenty three. Okay. Which is also the Scrabble value of Cruciverbalist. Is it? Um, I think so. Oh, I was going to say you. Oh, no, not- it can't be. It can't be. I don't know. What What were you going to say? David Kwong. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> as i said it's not the um most impressive puzzle but it was at least my my nod at that world 
Is puzzling or magic your first love? Ooh, that's the hardest question. I think magic, it's still... I think I'm a magician who has incorporated puzzles into his act rather than a a puzzler that has put magic into his act. I, um, it's starting to shift, though. Um, I've, I've realized that the best way to differentiate myself from all the other magicians out there is that I'm the puzzle. I'm the magician who does the puzzle thing. And it's a brainy, nerdy approach to magic. But I, when people ask me, what do you do? I usually say I'm a magician. Um, and I was obsessive over it as a kid. I learned all the sleight of hand and I would practice it and practice it. And there's so much in common with puzzles and, and even Scrabble and these other practice hobbies. If you have that kind of obsessive brain, if, if you want to play competitive Scrabble, you are sitting down to memorize word lists and you're kind of, you're like gaming the system, right? It's, it's, you're arming yourself with this database of stuff that you can do. And I guess magic is gaming the system as well. And maybe I'm just super competitive. I don't know. I don't know what, what started all of this, but I think magic's the first love. Yeah. Obviously you, 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 you set puzzles both in terms of this sort of this show and as part of your magic, but also you, know, you literally set the puzzles sometimes in the New York times. Do you get more pleasure from solving somebody else's New York times crossword puzzle or setting a fiendishly complicated one? Oh, definitely the latter. Definitely the latter. I am writing a, writing a crossword is, it's a creative exercise. You are trying to push the envelope, come up with a, a diabolical twist to the puzzle. It's truly, actually my, my, my show inside the box is all about how we human beings are at our most creative when we are constrained and we're constrained right now by quarantine. And we are coming up with inventive ways to share our ideas and reach out to other people. And it's, so it's all about thinking inside the box. And I can think of no better example than the New York Times crossword puzzle. 365 days a year, it puts out a brand new puzzle. And with all of these constraints of the number of black squares you can have and the symmetry and the rules that you have to follow, these crossword constructors are coming up with a brand new twist every day. Uh, a new joke, a, no, a new bit of wordplay. Um, it starts easy on Monday. On Thursday, things are going backward and they're upside down and you're putting multiple letters in a square. And cruciverbalists, the, that's our fancy term for crossword constructor, we, we try to really push the envelope. And I'm, I'm proud of, I only submit a couple a year and I try to come up with something diabolical, fiendish, as you, as you said. So I've done, um, I mean, probably the craziest one I ever did was an homage to Mad Magazine, for those of you familiar with that. Um, and the inside back cover of Mad Magazine for over 50 years was a piece of art, a cartoon by Al Jaffe, who is still alive. He's in his mid-90s, I think. And it was called The Fold In. And you would fold... The piece of paper so the right side connected to the left side uh you know it would say line up a and b on this piece of paper so you would fold it and a new image would be created the middle the middle of the image would basically be folded over and the secret hidden image would be there anyway 
I made a cluster puzzle that you could fold in half, and it would reveal a secret, the secret message. And that, that took me a couple of years to, to write. But um, I'm always messing with the form. My, my Halloween puzzle is probably the one I'm most proud of. And that one had four Universal Studios monsters in it, right? There was the Wolfman, Phantom, as in Phantom of the Opera, Monster, as in Frankenstein's Monster, and Dracula. Those were on the left side of the grid. In the middle was the word mirrors. And you had to figure out that you would have Wolfman on one side, and then it would the clue explains all of this. It's all, it's all, you unlock this whole, you understand it, right? That Wolfman reflected in the mirror is Namflow, and you would write Wolfman backwards, which is Namflow. And you would reflect all these monsters, except Dracula had no reflection, so you would write nothing <laughs> to the right side. So you had you had seven empty squares uh, in the grid, and it just confounded people, right? Because they thought the words intersecting with it were one letter longer than they were. Anyway, if you you can search online for it, and you can see it. It's pretty cool. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know who keeps records of these things, but presumably I'd be right in thinking, and I don't know if you can confirm or deny this, that the New York Times puzzle, crossword puzzle, for example, is probably being done more now you know, in the last six months than it was in the you know, last year. I don't know what the metrics are, but I'm sure you're right, what the data says. Um, yeah, it's a, we're in a, we were in a golden age of puzzles before, and certainly now I'm sure everyone is picking it up. Yeah. Do you think it – like I know for us at home, well, I've got young kids, so we've been doing puzzles across um, – jigsaw puzzles. Now, you know, we, we bought a 500-piece one in May. We haven't finished it yet, but we did the 100 and the 200s without too much difficulty. And I know jigsaw puzzles are a lighter form of puzzles, but they are puzzles nonetheless – I know there's lots of apps that are being developed now, which are puzzle-based and so on. Do you think that this period where people are looking for things to do different from their usual entertainment will carry on when life returns to normal whenever that is? Or do you think everyone will just go back to watching TV and going to the pub and so on? Well, I don't think we're going to go back completely to what it was before. People are already talking about how telecommuting is going to be much more acceptable. Mm. And I think virtual entertainment is going to be much more acceptable. I, uh, I think there were going to be times when it makes sense for me not to fly to Phoenix to do a show and I should just go down to my basement where I'm going to have this set already built and turn on the camera and do something. So, uh, it's, a yeah, it's a much easier way to get someone to pop into your living room. Right. Um, I, I hope that at least with puzzles that it's ignited an interest in them and, People will keep doing it. Because obviously part of, uh, you know, I've seen you perform magic. A lot of, you know, like like a lot of magicians, obviously you're bringing up members of the audience and all that sort of stuff. When it's safe to do so, and I know we're, we're both members of the Magic Castle in, in Los Angeles, which its beauty is its nooks and crannies, and therefore it may well be a very long time before they can open in a safe way. But, you know, when you can get back to performing, are you do you miss live audiences and that? Oh, yeah, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Um, I am so grateful I have this virtual show, and it works really well, and the material is perfect for it. But at the end of the day, it's me talking to a camera, and it's hard. It's really hard, and I try to keep the energy up. 
But I've, I've realized over the course of doing this show that there's the value, there's a, there's a physiological uh, exchange when you're, when you're in a live, um, when you have a live audience. And it's like, it's the power of eye contact. I never realized the value of eye contact before. It's pheromones. It's the it's people's energy colliding. It's uh, it's you're playing. I mean, I always knew that it was about like the those Im, Im, improv moments and the you know you get to riff and you get to have fun and the unexpected is what really drives so many magicians and comedians and stuff. But I guess I never realized how important physiologically it is to be in the same space with someone and make eye contact. Um, and, and I have a grid of people in front of me who are zooming in so I can see everyone, but it's not the same thing. No. Yeah. So as well as your puzzles, another thing that's done well during the pandemic is television. Now you've been involved in a handful of TV and movies related to magic. What's that? How do you feel about that in the sense of, because obviously it's very different being a magician and setting illusions in TV. What sort of drives you to do that? And what sense of accomplishment do you have from that type of work? Oh, how much time do you have? Well, um, here's the thing. Movies, filmmaking grew out of magic. It is a direct connection. So the first filmmakers... George Méliès is considered the father of, of cinema. George Méliès was a magician. And George Méliès, he took over the theater, all, all his first movies that were, they were filmed in this theater that he acquired from Jean-Robert Houdin. And Houdin was this famous French magician. Houdin is Houdini without the eye. Houdini borrowed his name to say, I am like Houdin. Houdin was that much of a legend, right? Robert Houdin was the French magician who was like the father of modern, uh, of modern, father of modern magic. He was the first person to put on white tie and tail and make magic an evening performance instead of just something that you do on the streets to con people out of their money. Um, so anyway, there's Ro Robert, uh, Robert Houdin's theater Méliès takes it over, and the magicians were the first to experiment with the early cameras. And, and Méliès's early first films are all magic tricks. They are themed on, it's the vanishing lady, it's the artist's dream where um, a, a woman or a man steps out of a painting. These are all late uh, 19th century magic tricks. And it's the same art form because a director is all about controlling like what you see, what you're looking at in the frame. In fact, magicians borrow that phrase. It's control, controlling the frame. Even if I'm doing sleight of hand on a table with playing cards, there's a frame of that uh, of focus that you're, I'm making you look at this, where my hands are, where the cards are, right? And I can move the frame. I can reach up here and pull something out of the air and your eye is gonna go up there because that's where the action is. And guess what? The dirty work happens outside the frame. When I do this, I'm reaching into my pocket to grab something else. Um, and it's filmmaking is the same way. You have people 
pulling ropes and handing people stuff and you know all the the everything happens outside of the frame of of uh, what you're seeing and um, and I often think that a good a good magician and a good filmmaker can control what you're seeing and where you're looking but a really great magician and a great filmmaker is also controlling what you're feeling and is taking you on an emotional journey through storytelling. So anyway, they're, they're, they're intertwined, uh, inextricably linked. And I don't even remember what your uh, original question was, but here I am talking about, Oh yeah. Consulting on movies. So yeah, it's no wonder that JJ Abrams is a magician and cinematographers like Larry Fong are magicians. Um, as I've worked here in Hollywood for, for a decade, uh, no, it's been 15 years. Um, I've all these, all these magicians come out of the woodwork, all of these filmmakers. And I was, um, lucky. I really got a big break when I was the head magic consultant on the now you see me movie, which is a bank heist, uh, film. And, uh, I was on set every day for that. And yeah, it's teaching, it's teaching magicians how to uh, teaching the actors, how to do these magic tricks. So, are the actors easy to teach how to do magic tricks? Yes. Yes and no. Uh, well, on that movie in particular, Jesse Eisenberg and Dave Franco, who were uh, two of the younger actors, they really embraced it and they walked everywhere for months at a time holding a deck of cards or, you know, uh, trying to palm coins in their hand. But then the more seasoned people like Morgan Freeman and Woody Harrelson couldn't be bothered to learn it. And you know, for people like that, you rig them up with stuff. You're pulling the strings. You're, I literally taped a coin to Morgan Freeman's hand. So we can go, look, I'm palming a coin, you know, <laughs> it's in the movie. You know? And that's what he, that's all he wanted to do. He's the nicest person, by the way. Um, so yeah, you did the, the, the key is make them look good. Right. Yeah. yeah. There was a show of yours. Was a show of your, as a show you were consulting, I think you were one of the exec producers for um, Deception. Yeah, Deception, uh, rest in peace, RIP, only lasted a season on ABC, but I'm proud of it. Uh, I, so I um, was consulting on puzzles and secret codes for Blind Spot, which mm. is a show created by Martin Garrow, and it's a Greg Berlanti produced show. So you would designing the tattoos yes yes the tattoos on jamie alexander's body are like a treasure map um and i worked on the secret codes for that along with my friend dave shukan who helped out a great deal and anyway greg berlanti and i were around the metaphorical water cooler one day and um cooked up this idea for a magician that joins the the police or the fbi and um, we brought on Chris Fedak, who created Chuck, and who had been running the room of one of Greg's other shows. And we uh, got it going, and it was it was really fun. I'm very proud of it. Uh, kind of got caught up in it got it got dwarfed by the streamers and uh, you know the Netflixes and all. There will be other magic projects, and I'm working on. Some secret ones right now. <laughs> um, I have no, I have no doubt about that. Going back to the magic stuff, you did a TED talk, which a couple of million, nearly a couple of million people have now seen. 
where you talk about some of the science behind magic to an extent. And obviously, just talking to you tonight and having seen you before, you you like that sort of cerebral, historic, technical element. It is not just about the showmanship, which you're good at, but it's actually the sort of the theory behind it all. Yeah, it keeps with the thesis of that all magic's a puzzle, and and in other words, magic is not real. It's a it's a science. It's something that can be broken down into its principles, um, and I'm quite transparent about that. That that I'm here to entertain you and misdirect you, and make you look where I want you to look, and your brain is fooled. Your brain is broken. And magicians take advantage of the way that it's um, the faulty wiring in your brain. And I think it's more entertaining to, to learn about where those gaps are in your brain. So, yeah, I, I, I've given a couple of TED Talks on it. And um, I wrote a book called the Spellbound, The Seven Principles of Illusion, where I, I really lay it out for you. And uh, in my one-man show... The live one, the enigmatist, I walk out on stage and I expose how a magic trick is done. It's the first thing that I do. Mm. And I say, sorry, guys, it's not real. It's all a puzzle. And uh, if you can figure it out, good for you. So uh, and I've heard you talk about this sort of faulty wiring point. So for, for those who've not heard this, can you give like a bit of an example around how magicians take advantage of flaws in our brains? Sure. Um, there is something called uh, amodal completion. That's a really good example. And amodal completion is when uh, your brain assumes if there, if you see the the head of a dog, if there's a dog behind a tree, and you see the head of a dog, and then the tree, and then the backside of a dog, uh, like a long, skinny, you know, dachshund or whatever that you, your brain assumes that is a single dog that runs the length behind the tree. But it could be two dogs. It could be the head of one, and then there's another dog behind the tree, and you're seeing the, the tail of it, right? So uh, that that's a real visual illusion. Let's see. How about another example? Um, the illusion of free choice is such a is the cornerstone of so many tricks. Yeah. Which is, if I've... I've set it, I, the magician, have set everything up ahead of time, but then I'm giving you the choice. I'm letting you decide what happens in the trick um, so that it seems spontaneous and therefore I'm not set up for it, right? Which is why pick, pick a card, any card is so effective. Uh, you feel that you are in control. You, are, you have free choice to take any one of those cards. But... 52 is not a big number for a magician to be in command of. So I'm actually stripping away your free choice and um, I've prepared perhaps 52 different, different outcomes for what you've chosen. Do you have a favorite trick that you perform? Yeah, my signature trick is um, involves the crossword puzzle. It's the ultimate way that I uh, cross-pollinated my two worlds. So I have people choose a card and then I fill, I have a blank crossword puzzle board. It's a five, uh, 15 by 15 grid. 
um, and I put in the black squares and I put in the letters on the fly and I build a crossword puzzle in real time with people yelling words up to me that I try to fit in the grid. And in the end of it, I reveal that the playing card that was chosen is hidden in the grid somehow. Uh, maybe it's backward on a diagonal or it's in a V shape or, um, and it's literally just pick a card, any card, right? But I have chosen this manner of revealing what your card is. And that's what so much of magic is, is can you put a fresh coat of paint on an old trick that's a hundred or more years old? It's, it's literally just pick a card, any card. Do you think all these talent shows plus also the streaming services where, you know, Justin Wilman's got a show and all this sort of stuff. Does that, does that help everybody else? Does it elevate magic for everybody else that there's, there's and obviously the stuff David Blaine does. Does it, is that good that there's more of this accessibility for magicians more broadly? I think so. Uh, I certainly believe it, but magic is very competitive. And I would actually say that most people don't think that way. Uh, and and treat it like a zero-sum game, to be honest. Uh, I think it's... Um, magic is a very special art form. Um, I often say it's like stand-up comedy on steroids because that's a very competitive business, too. But unlike... So what they have in common is that everyone's accusing each other of stealing tricks and mm. stealing jokes and tricks. But, but what magic has, what, what makes it different is that everyone is claiming I am the only person in the world that can do this. So when someone else does it on TV or uh, on the rare occasion when, I sh when I'm hired for an event and I show up, and they haven't told me that there's another magician also working the room. It's like two violin players playing in the same room. It doesn't work. Mm. Um, and it's tough because you're claiming I've been imbued with these special powers. No one else can do this. Uh, and then someone else doing it. So that is why most magicians are competitive to the point where it's like a zero sum game for them. It's a shame. I wish it were a little more open and more and more, more free sharing of ideas, but people really clutch their ideas. Anyway, it's why it's why I've embraced puzzles so much and this transparent approach to magic because I'm just a little more of an open book about it all. So in, in the old days when you could actually do things like go to events and get on aeroplanes, were you on, on that sort of circuit where you get flown to a city to perform at a corporate event or somebody's birthday party and so on? Did you... You enjoy that sort of magic adventuring and meeting people and Oh I love it. I I, I um because I did the TED Talks and then I wrote my book to buttress that, I um I penetrated that corporate speakers market. And even though you could be in a Hilton in the middle in Orlando on a just really uh, austere corporate stage. Every time I'm paid to do that, I can't believe that I can make a living doing magic, and I and I just love doing it. So mm. you meet interesting people, and but I'm proud to I'm proud to fly to Orlando and do my my act. Yeah, Actually, you make an interesting point because obviously lots of people who are creative struggle to get 
to a place where they can make a living. I mean, in the days when you could actually take an Uber safely, you know, every Uber driver in Los Angeles is an actor, a writer, a director. I'm not sure I've had many magician Uber drivers, but certainly every other profession. To actually be a properly engaged, full-time working magician stroke puzzler is is quite a rarity, is it not? I th- I think so. Well, yeah, people people get by, and they there are different levels, and people do parties, and but um, yeah, I never thought I'm grateful for all of this. When I when I first quit my Hollywood job, I used to work for a movie studio, which is why I'm involved in all these movies still. But um, when I first quit, I just had this. I want to make. X amount. I want to make the amount that I'm making right now at DreamWorks. Like, can I make this amount doing parties? And I did. And uh, I've, you know, it's kept growing from there. But um, you know, I was, I was, I was so proud to be able to do that in my first year. And uh, I think it's hard right now. A lot of people are struggling. Mm-hmm. And but the world will open up again, and people will get back to it. Yeah. You know? cool. What did you do in the movie business before you quit to do this? I was uh, trying to climb up the ladder of being a producer. So I was in development, which is that catch-all term for how movies come together. And so I was in in development at DreamWorks Animation and uh, reading scripts, finding source material, graphic novels, hearing ideas from writers, and then working with writers to bring things like how to train your dragon and Kung Fu Panda to the screen. Hmm. So it was real. it was like story boot camp, which is so, so then I started sneaking out every when, when now you see me was happening, right. Um, they hired Ed Solomon to write the script and I started sneaking out every day to go work with him. Uh, and my boss at DreamWorks was so cool about it. He could tell, he, he was a great mentor. He could tell this is where my passion was. Yeah. Um, and then when now you see me got the green lights to, uh, to shoot in new Orleans, I, I stepped out of DreamWorks and I thought actually I would go back to it. I asked for a leave of absence and they gave it to me. And then, uh, you know, about halfway through the shoot, I was like, I'm not coming back. This is too fun. Yeah, I'm sure. So if life were to return to normal, tomorrow what would be the first thing that you would do i would do a live magic show and invite everybody a a free live magic show for everyone (laughs) it's uh i need it and you need it you know (laughs) like we need it equally yeah Yeah. i really miss the community in los angeles the creative people here just they they feed my soul and um i just i miss i miss going to a party and and talking to somebody and meeting somebody new has something cool to say. No, uh, you and everyone else both. So look, it's late time for the last question, which is if you could drink any whiskey with anyone dead or alive, who would it be? What would it be? And where would it be? Okay. Wow. All right. Well, there was a magician. Um, I'm going to tell you the story of who this person is. This is Chung Ling Su. Mm. Chung Ling Su. 
this is the person I would like to um, have a uh, a drink with. So Chung Ling Su, uh, his story starts with a rival magician from China named Ching Ling Fu. There was Chung Ling Su and Ching Ling Fu. So Ching Ling Fu comes over from China in the 1800s and he gets Americans crazed about Chinese magic. We're talking the linking rings, firecrackers, ribbons, um, and he's the official court conjurer of the Empress Dowager of China. Major Sparks a major craze for Chinese magic. And all these other people start springing up, like the one I just showed you, Chung Ling Su. And these two guys, these two heavyweights, are claiming that they are the official magician to China. And they have a magic fight. They have a magic fight. It was a, it was a publicity stunt, but nevertheless, it was billed as a magic fight. Chingling Fu versus Chungling Su. Can Fu fool Su or will Su Su Fu was how it was built. Uh, and Chingling Fu does not show up. The, the, the original Chinese magician does not show up to this publicity stunt. Chungling Su declares himself the winner. I am the real Chinese magician. And he goes on to great fame and fortune touring the world. Um, this is in the teens, I believe. I'm not the best with dates. I think it was the teens. Uh, and his famous trick was catching a bullet. And he called it uh, condemned to death by the Boxer Rebellion. So Chung Ling Su would speak Chinese on stage and he had a translator who would translate it to the audience. And in 1918, I think that was the year, he's performing in London at the Wood Green Empire Theater doing the bullet catch trick and something goes terribly wrong and the bullet is fired and he collapses onto the stage and he says... In perfect English, something's gone terribly wrong. And you find out that he was a white man pretending to be Chinese the whole time. And he was really named William Robinson. And he was a brilliant illusion builder. Um, and he had masqueraded as, as Chung Ling Su. So I think your question was really just an excuse for me to tell you my favorite story from history. But I would love to sit down with... William Robinson uh, and uh, before his demise and and pick his brain because I think my next show is going to be about racial identity and the fact that I'm you know mixed um, half Chinese and I'm half white and you know the tension between those two cultures there and and I just was what a fascinating character so maybe uh, in 1917 would be a good year to have a drink, a drink with him <laughs> was he also I'm going to get the name from was was he also the other Chinese person and there was never two of them or no 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 but that's a great twist um, now Ching Ling Fu was in fact a real Chinese magician and Chung Ling Su was a copycat so I'm now this is where you'll know the answer to this I'm going to get my film magic mixed up but there was a magic film the Prestige. The uh -huh. Prestige, where they 
talk about somebody who spent their whole life pretending to be a. Oh yeah, yeah. They, 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 that's exactly right. They they use the name Chung Ling Su as a character in that they they actually make him an uh, authentic, a uh, real Chinese man in that movie. Um, and they call him Chung Ling Su, and it's just a character, but he represents this idea of commitment to a magic trick. Yeah. And they talk about how um, in order to produce the giant fishbowl full of water and goldfish, which was a real Chinese trick that Ching Ling, uh, see, I can't even get it right. Ching Ling Fu, Ching Ling Fu actually did produce the goldfish uh, bowl. That, that in order to do that, you have to like hunch over and carry it between your legs, right? Um, and in order to sell this illusion to the world, in the movie, the, the old man, Chung Ling Su, walks around 24 hours a day hunched over um, because that's how he has to walk with a giant fishbowl between his legs when he's on stage. So he's selling that 24-7 to the world. And that's that's the whole theme of the movie is, you you know, how badly do you want to pull off a magic trick? How, how important is that secret? Well, you're willing to die for it, literally. Um, that's what that movie's about. So the, the fact that they called him Chung Ling Su is a sort of inside baseball joke for or reference for the magician historians among you. Yeah, and that's right. Yeah. Oh, very good. Yeah. David Kwong, um, I'm not going to list all the things I said about you before because I've had two whiskeys now, but puzzler, magician, crossword, uh, cruciverbalist, and lots of other things. Thank you very much for your, your time, your wisdom, and your insights. And good luck hosting the magic show whenever that might be. Thank you. And if you're uh, if you're aching for for a smart evening of puzzles, uh, check out Inside the Box, which I'm doing out of my basement, but uh, produced by the Geffen Playhouse. Uh, it's a remarkable team has put this together, and uh, we're going strong. It sold out through January, but tickets pop up uh, every week because people cancel, and, uh, and then we'll extend beyond that. And hopefully we won't extend much further than that because we all need to get out of this and go back to normal life. Mm, I love scotch. 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 Yep. And don't forget to not just follow us on Twitter and Instagram at US of Dramerica, but also ask us questions and comment and say nice things. And please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And if the mood takes you, you can leave us a review as uh, feedback is always welcome. And drink whiskey. Stonchevar.